You're listening to Starting Place, a podcast of training the church. I'm your host, Elizabeth Woodson, and this season we are doing a mini-series on how to study the Bible. In our first season, we talked about the story of the Bible, and I want to equip you with a few tools to help you study that story on your own. Now, if we think of Bible study as a four-step process, today we are going to discuss step one, context. My guest, Christy Anyabuile, is going to unpack for us the information we need to study before we try to figure out what a passage means. Now, if you haven't already downloaded the series handout, it is linked for you in the show notes. And it's going to be a great tool to help you take notes as you listen to my conversation with Christy. Hey, y'all, it's Elizabeth, and we are back for episode number two of our summer mini-series, y'all. We are going through a short series on how to study the Bible. So we've been talking about the story of the Bible, but how do we actually dig into the text so we can study it on our own? And today, I have my friend, Christiana Weeble. I am so excited for her to be here, y'all. Christy, how are you doing? (laughs) Oh, hanging, hanging, hanging. You know, um, someone, you know, they say sometimes, you know, I'm doing better than I deserve. That's how I feel sometimes. It's a busy season, lots going on in life and ministry, but I'm encouraging the Lord and excited about so many things he's doing personally, ministry wise. So yeah, yeah, I'm good. Now, I know you are doing lots of really good ministry work and you've got some projects already out. I know you got some projects in the work. So for our Mm -hmm. audience members who aren't as familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do in ministry? Yeah. So primarily I try to keep the people in my household fed. It's the guys right now. (laughs) So yeah, I have uh, my husband, he's a pastor, the Beatty. And uh, we live in Washington, D.C., so that keeps us very busy with church and, you know, family life. And I have a teenager still at home who keeps me busy with all the sports stuff from soccer to track to basketball. Uh, I am that mom. You're going to hear me on the sidelines. I'm her. So I'm at the games and uh, on the track field. So that keeps me busy. But and I have two adult daughters, but they don't live at home anymore. So when I'm at home and everyone's at school or doing their things, I am usually writing and studying the Bible. So I disciple women in my church. I meet with them one-on-one. We do Bible studies. We read books. Um, And I I consider myself to be a Bible teacher. Uh, So I like to help people understand their Bibles better. And I think that comes from my own background of just not feeling competent or confident in my ability to handle God's word, especially early on when people were asking me to disciple them. And I'm like, uh, I don't even know what that means. Like, how do I do that? And so that slow, hard process of trying to figure out how to walk with someone else in the word, the Lord's, you know, just given me ability to learn how to do that in a way that you know, hopefully it's been helpful to other people, but also in my own spiritual life. And so my discipleship and Bible teaching kind of comes out of my own initial need, understanding myself to have that need for understanding scripture. And like I said, to develop that confidence and confidence. So in the midst of that, discipling other people, helping them understand the Bible, I also have opportunity to write. 
books, Bible studies, that sort of thing. And the goal of that for me is not just to be a writer, but it is to bring biblical teaching that helps people to engage better with their Bibles. So I try to be plain. I try to be, you know, straight and simple, everyday kinds of language. And again, that comes out of my own history of being in spaces where I'm trying to learn these biblical concepts And in a space where people assume that I have this base of biblical knowledge that I don't have. So they start using big words and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. A pericope? I don't know. What is that? (laughs) Like, So and I I don't have a seminary degree. I've never been to a biblical college or school or anything like that. So it just has been a process of trying to gain biblical categories and reframe them in ways that make it easier for people to engage with the Word of God. And I think even with all of that, the goal, I just always want to be careful about the goal is not just to have Bible knowledge, but to engage with the Lord and fellowship and commune with Him in a way that doesn't feel like friction, like I'm, you know, kind of, you know, uphill battle just to talk with our Savior, like the Holy Spirit lives within us, you know, God indwells us by spirit. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Like, I just want to fellowship freely with the Lord and commune with Him. And so sometimes learning these biblical tools and strategies makes it easier for me to just engage with God and not feel like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, our our study of the Bible isn't just to accumulate information, it's that it transforms us and that we will come to know and love God more. And what I love about your ministry is that you do that out of the overflow of the ministry you're doing every day with women. So you have this public platform, the books you've Mm -hmm. written, and like you said, you're trying to bring it down to the ground for people, but that pours out of what you're doing every day. And that's a really important thing because it's one thing to just write studies, but it's another thing to say, no, I'm doing this with God's people and y'all just get the overflow. Y'all just get the extra. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Now, when it comes to our study of the Bible, there is just kind of this process that we walk through uh, in terms of being able to to get to the meaning of the text so that we can be transformed by the information. But growing up, Mm -hmm. there was a step that I would usually skip over (laughs) as I would just open up my Bible and say, man, what does this mean for me? And that step is really understanding the context. And so, Mm -hmm. Christy, can you Mm -hmm. just explain to us a little bit more about the different types of biblical context that we should be concerned about Mm -hmm. and why it even matters that we study them? Yeah, no, that is a really good question. So you kind of have two schools of thought. You have people who they somewhat somehow they get introduced to context and then they're whoo, they're context, context, like they spend so much time in context, they still really haven't dealt with the actual text of the <laughs> scripture. So you kind of, you know, you go to your cross, and I've done this too. Go to your cross-reference and you want to cross-reference everything. Well, what does this mean? And where is this, you know? And I call it kind of like just chasing context. So there's that side where people just get really caught up. And I'm I'm sure people listening have even heard sermons where, you know, if it's a 45 minute sermon, you know, a a preacher may spend 30 minutes on all this background context. And then you have 15 minutes left in the text. And you know a lot about, you know, (laughs) David's life, you know, before, but, you know, you know, you, you're not really focused or centered on the particular text at hand. So that's kind of a pitfall that we have to be aware of that context, we can do too much. The point is, when I am considering 
the various biblical contexts I'm going to talk about in a second, the question I'm asking is, how does this context directly help me to understand the passage that I'm studying? So, you know, a lot of history, a lot of culture, those things are good to know, but they may not actually aid my understanding of a particular passage that I'm that I'm studying. So, uh, so the those the kinds of contexts that you want to look for would be first the immediate context of the passage itself. So, for example, if I am in 1 Samuel 2 and I'm reading the account of Hannah and Samuel, then I want to look at, okay, if I'm in 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 21, the little section, then I want to look back at the beginning of chapter 2 and I want to look at the section that comes after it because that's going to help inform how I understand what's going on between Hannah and and Samuel, because it's sandwiched between that passage is sandwiched between this conversation about Eli and his sons and the evil of their sons and what happens to him, them. And so, how am I to understand this boy Samuel who is growing in wisdom and 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 in the Lord, and contrasting that with these evil men who, who these evil men whose paths are leading them away from God to this little boy whose path is leading him in the way of God. So the immediate context helps to root, you know, the passage that you might be studying. And some people call that the literary context, right? So the verses before and after, the chapter before and after, because it might be helpful to know what's going on. What I mean, well, who is Hannah and what was her life like? Well, who who's your daddy? <laughs> right? So then it might be helpful to go back to chapter one and learn about Elkanah and how he, you know, his life with his other wives and how he viewed Hannah. And, you know, so that would would be helpful for me to place the passage that I'm studying in 1 Samuel 2, for example. So you want to look at the immediate context and you kind of want to also look at, not kind of, you do want to look at the whole book, the book as a whole too. So what would be the message of 1 Samuel and how does my particular chapter or section contribute to my understanding of the book as a whole. What part does my passage play in the overall message of 1 Samuel? And this is helpful because it helps us to make sure that understanding, application, interpretation is within the framework of the message of that book. And so we can stay, you know, it's kind of a guardrail to make sure that we're, you know, kind of staying in line with the message of the whole book. So immediate context, then you want to think about some historical, cultural uh, kinds of contexts. And again, whether you're in an Old Testament or, or New Testament, that's going to look a little bit different. So in the New Testament, a lot of times the history and the culture are kind of parallel, like things are happening in time. Whereas if you're in the Old Testament, for example, and I'm in First Samuel again, there may be something in the law, in the, you know, Genesis or Exodus or some other, there may be some history in the law that kind of helps to bring understanding to what I'm studying in First Samuel, for example. So you want to look at the broader context of the history and the culture of that time. And I think those are kind of the two main elements that you want to pay attention to, particularly when you're in your exegetical work, your work of, I just want to know what this passage is saying and what does it mean? Like, 
help me to just walk through it faithfully. And I'm saying, I'm, this is what I'm saying to the Holy Spirit, like Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> so those are, that's kind of what you want to focus on, on the exegetical side. But then when you start to unpack a passage and see how does that passage anticipate or lift up the good news of the gospel of Jesus, then this is when you kind of put your theological hat on and you want to look at broader Bible kinds of context. Some people call it canonical context or theological reflection. So you want to bring that forward. Like, how does my passage legitimately connect to the person and work of Jesus? Is there some fulfillment of this passage that is, is there some a way that Jesus fulfills aspects of this passage? Is it kind of lifting up a typology, like a person who is being lifted up as a type of Christ? Is it, so you want to kind of, is there some sort of historical trajectory that helps us to see a pathway of revelation that is growing to help us understand the person and work of Jesus? So you want to kind of bring in the whole Bible once you've kind of gotten a feel and an idea of what your particular passage is about, then how does it connect me to Jesus? And then in light of that, in light of this passage and how Jesus fulfills or how the gospel, aspects of the gospel that are brought out in the passage, then I want to think about like, okay, well, what does that say to me as a New Testament believer, as someone who is living in light of Jesus's death and resurrection, anticipating his return, then how do I relate this passage to my life? So that's my quick kind of rundown on context and hopefully some things that will help us when we're studying particular passages. Yeah, you know, because we can approach the text in a different way than we approach the other books that we read. Uh, that we can, and it's easy for us, and, and I want this space to be a space of grace, not shame for people, yes. you know, that Amen. the Bible mm-hmm. is a book of literature. And so the same way we wouldn't pick up That's right. a chapter book and flip to the fourth chapter and fourth chapter and the second paragraph and pull out one sentence and try to figure out what the whole book yes. is about, we, we don't need to do the same thing with scripture because we miss things, right? We miss a robustness exactly. of message and really seeing how God is revealing his work of redemption throughout the entirety of scripture. And there's, I, what, I guess what mm-hmm. I want to say is there's more for us that is available when we do some of this extra mm-hmm. pre-work. And we're going to talk about tools because y'all know I love tools. I love free tools. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of this information is yes. readily available <laughs> for you in some good places. But that, mm-hmm. uh, like Chrissy said, even... I have one speaker who I was listening to. I was at, at a conference and she asked the folks to like raise their hand if they had a life verse. And she was like, do you know mm. what comes before or after your life first? And like a lot of hands went down. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. it just is like, it provides <laughs> more information that helps us clearly see who God is, but also helps keep us in the boundaries. Because that's something that people can feel yeah. a little bit of angst about. How do I know if I'm saying something that's true to the text? And these mm-hmm. tools can help you stay in good boundary lines of this is pointing to scripture. This is pointing to Christ. This helped me understand who he is. And so we will, again, like we always mm-hmm. do, a lot of the, the the words and pieces of context that Christy mentioned we'll have in the show notes for you to be able to do a deeper dive if you want mm-hmm. to. Um, but I want us to spend mm-hmm. the rest of our talking time talking about yeah. literary context because scripture is made up yes. of so many different literary styles. And so what are those, yes. Christy? What are, mm-hmm. what is genre and what are some of the genres we see present in the text? 
Okay. So I'll do it in kind of two parts. So I'll talk about the genre, but you mentioned literary styles. So I think literary styles, like if we had a big, if we had a series of nets, we would put the kinds of literature we see in the Bible under a net of poetic literature or poetic style. We would have a net of narrative or story, and we would have a net of speeches or discourse. So that are those kind of like the broad kinds of writings that you're going to often see in scripture. Those kinds of writings are housed within these literary genres of scripture. And the genres are basic categories that we place collections of books of the Bible so that we can have an idea of where we are in the redemptive story. And, you know, that's your jam. (laughs) And... (laughs) Where we, where we are in the redemptive story and the message that God was trying to communicate through that genre. So, for example, if you so the genres would be the first five books of the Bible or the law, the Pentateuch. And those books are telling us this is the beginning of God's redemptive story where he is giving instructions to his people. Then you have a second set of another genre, which is the narrative portions, the Old Testament narratives. These are stories that tell show us how well how, how did God's people respond to his instructions? Okay, if the law is this is what he expects. What, how did they do? Well, we know they didn't do so well <laughs> all the time. And so they didn't do that great. So God had to keep reminding them of his law, of his instructions. And he did it in a lot of ways. He did it through poetry. So we have the Psalms where we get this poetic expression of God reiterating his expectations, his law, even the history of his people through song and liturgy and prayer. We have wisdom literature where God is reminding people of his instructions and saying, okay, this is how I expect you to live wisely in the world in these you know, various circumstances. So you have books like uh, Job and uh, Song of Solomon and uh, the Proverbs, of course. And then... God is like, oh, these people still ain't getting it. So then we have a collection of books that are the prophets. And the prophets, again, they are going back and saying, this is what God said in his law. This, these, this is what he expects of you. But the prophets are saying, let me remind you of what God said, but also I'm going to give you consequences. I'm going, I'm going to tell you what God says are the consequences for you if you don't obey his law. And also the blessings of obedience if you do obey his law. So the pro- so again, you know, as we're walking through the genres, we're seeing, okay, God gives instructions. Then we see how people lived in light of it. And then we see how various ways people are responding. And now we got the prophetic books and they're reminding people of the law and saying, you know, listen, there's blessing and obedience and this is what God has promised. And then once we get through that genre of prophecy and those sets of books, then we come forward to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the first genre we come to is the Gospels and Acts. Those are stories too, they're narratives primarily, but they are telling us, okay, this is God's law as they were embodied in the person and work of Jesus the one who fully obeyed all of God's law. We get to see that in the Gospels. And then we have the epistles, that would be our next genre. And those are the letters to like, you know, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all of those, as well as epistles or letters to individuals, pastors and and leaders in the church community. And the genre of epistles are showing us God's law 
as it is to be lived out in the New Testament church in light of Christ's coming and resurrection. And then finally, we have uh, the last genre of apocalyptic, which is a little tricky because we have to dip in the Old Testament and the New. So the books of Daniel and Revelation are primarily apocalyptic, meaning it's that word apocalyptic means revealing. So it's revealing Jesus to us in a particular way. And we can talk about specific genres and some specific things within like apocalyptic or prophecy or whatever. But basically in the apocalyptic genre, we're seeing the fullness of God's story realized. So if Genesis and the law is giving us God's instructions and telling us the beginning of history, then Revelation and Daniel, they are showing us the end of history and how God's people triumph through Jesus and reign with him forever. So I I love talking about those because you get that full. So if I'm in Romans, for example, then it's good for me to know that Romans is a new te- is in the genre of epistles. And in that epistle, what I'm going to be looking for as a Bible student is God's expectations for the New Testament church. What does it look like to live under God's law as a believer in Jesus Christ? And that roots me when I'm studying Romans 8, for example, or Romans 10, for example, and helps me to know, have categories for what to look for as I study. I got excited. <laughs> yeah, I love this stuff. Uh, and I always feel like it's a privilege that I just get to talk to all these wonderful folks about scripture and and things I did not have when I was growing up in the church. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to see the bookends and for you to talk about the law as God giving his instruction and to talk about Daniel and Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature that is pointing towards the fulfillment of God's plan and just mm-hmm. that what God set forth mm-hmm. will come to pass. And we see the beginning and the end, which really yes. is the beginning of eternity for us in, as, yes. as, as humanity. It just is really beautiful. And again, mm-hmm. you know, these tools help you gain more of the beauty that we can miss out on because sometimes mm-hmm. these pieces aren't always easy for us to understand. Because even though we might not know the specific names of some of the, the genres that you mentioned, Christy, I think there are some we like to hang out in. Like we like to hang out in the stories. We like the narrative. Oh, yes. (laughs) We love songs (laughs) and Proverbs or the Gospels or the Epistles. But there are a few Mm -hmm. we kind of like stay away from. (laughs) Stay away. away. And so so I would love if you, uh, specifically, I think it's the law. And I think it's prophecy Mm -hmm. and prophecy because the imagery is hard or we see people misusing that in today's culture moment. Yeah. And then you gave us a little bit of the apocalyptic, Mm -hmm. but if you could just give us a little bit more detail about those three and kind of how do, what are they and how do we read them in a way that helps us know and love God more? Yeah. Ooh, that's so good. Thank you. Okay. The law and my, and I'm working on some stuff with the law right now, so I'm gonna have to edit myself because I get really excited about it. But I think when people think about the law, they think about rules, and they think about you think about rules, you think about punishment, you think about like the Ten Commandments. All of that is part of it, but God's laws are not for us. Our focus shouldn't necessarily be on the do's and don'ts but more so on God is laying down, I keep using this word, instructions, expectations. What does he expect? This is positive. So we don't have to be afraid of the law or like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm like (laughs) breaking all the commandments right now. That might be true. (laughs) But 
The goal in bringing attention to the law is so that we can know what God expects of his people. And here's another thing. Let's back it up with the genres. The Bible is a literary work. So just like you talked about earlier, you know, you don't pick up a book and like start in chapter four, you read it, start from the beginning and you read through. And the Bible is a literary work. I think sometimes people think about literature and they think about grade school and they think about grammar and they're like, oh, literature is stuff that you do in school. But man, man didn't come up with literature and figurative language and literary devices, God came up with that. So I think our primary use of literature and language and grammar is we bring that to the Bible. You know, the secondary use is reading a good book or a novel or diagram and sentence or something, but God intended all of his good gifts, even literature, to be used for us to understand him better, to know him more deeply. So with the law, I think in a literary standpoint, y'all have to go back with me to grade school for a minute. The law, in ter- think about expectation and instruction, is a kind, God has kind of given us this picture of a utopian society, right? So you might learn utopian societies, and again, in your grammar school, go back to middle school, but the ideal, what he expects. And yes, man doesn't live up to it, but this is what he's holding out for us. So when you're going through the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you want to be, you know, kind of keeping that in mind. So what instruction or what expectation does God have of his people? How was it to guide or govern the people? And then how does Jesus fulfill or um, it, it, how is the gospel of Jesus pointed to from the passage? And then again, how do we how do we apply it to us today? And so, for example, in Genesis, there's a lot of hero stories, right? So you got all the patriarchs. Again, this is lit, this is literary language, hero stories, and you have these covenants or these kind of agreements that God is making with people. In Exodus, it's it's like an epic. It's this epic story of a people who are. God created, like God just named them, y'all going to be Israel. <laughs> and then it's the story of their deliverance and um, movement into the land that God had promised them. And then Leviticus, again, this utopian ideal of like all these laws and offerings, like this is how I'm expecting y'all to go into this land. Don't be like the people around you. This is what I expect of you. And then numbers is more like chronicling things, like records of of history and data and that kind of thing. And then Deuteronomy is basically a long speech. It's a narrative speech. It's a long speech in narrative form where Moses is reminding the second generation of Israel, like, this is all the stuff that God told y'all for your parents. That generation is gone. You're about to go in the land. Let me remind you of these things. So you want to keep in mind, like, the type of literature and what it is doing in the books of the law. Now, one other thing I'll say about law is that there's different types of laws that you see. There's also a lot of regulations and codes and those kinds of things. So you have ceremonial laws that you see a lot, like holy days and what the priests are expected to do and those kinds of things. And those ceremonial law we know have been fulfilled in Christ. Like he fulfilled all of the ceremonial law. He is our high priest. He is the one who makes atonement for sin. Then you have the civil laws, and those are kind of like, just like the legal system, how people were to be governed lawfully. And they focus on principles of of justice and righteousness. So again, this helps us to know if I'm reading 
in the law about these civil matters that I want to be thinking in terms of my application and how what I take away from it is what is God expecting of me? How am I expected to live justly and righteously before God, before my fellow brothers and sisters, and in the world? And then finally, we have the moral law. So people think, obviously, of the Ten Commandments and those kinds of things where it's timeless truth. It guides our behavior even today. So again, it's easy for us to make application, easier for us to make application today because it's timeless. It's things that anybody in any society would would adhere to. So those are some things to think about in regards to the law. Yeah, that is helpful because the law, especially when you're reading through Leviticus, where it's just giving mm-hmm. instruction after instruction. <laughs> That that can be a quick place yeah. where like that has no connection to my everyday life mm-hmm. and I'm gonna drop off my reading plan yeah. or pick up at the next narrative. <laughs> and it's true. real. Like it's real. Or you get really confused yeah. and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? So you'll read a, a passage that says, I don't want you to put any markings over your body. You should not have any cuts or tattoos. And you're like, oh snap, I got like 45 <laughs> tattoos. But then you'll read you read the verse before, I think it's a verse or two before that, where it says, A man should not cut his beard. And you're like, oh, wait, wait, (laughs) what's happening? Or you'll read a passage that says, hey, you can't wear anything that has two different types of fabric on your your clothes or something. So what do I do with that? Is this telling me that I can't have a tattoo? I, you know, if I'm a man, I can't have a beard and I can't wear mixed fabrics, you know, my rayon and polyester blend, like what's, (laughs) what's the deal? And so that's why you have to keep in mind that these were laws, civil laws, that were governing the people as they were living in the land around them. And so the emphasis is not so much on the tattoo, but it's God saying, be holy for I am holy. Don't be like the people around you. There should not be any confusion about where your allegiance is. So when I'm applying a text like that, I'm not so much thinking about whether or not I should or shouldn't have a tattoo. I think that's more of a matter of conscience. What I'm asking myself is, what are some ways that people might confuse my allegiance and think that I am worshiping something other than God? Am I am I being holy in every aspect of my life? And am I demonstrating that in a way that makes it clear that I'm a Christ follower? Like, that's what I want to emphasize from the law, right? So, you know, the tattoo, yeah, that 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 was an issue that was, you know, that was a specific kind of issue that um, God wanted to kind of guard them against in that cultural moment. But in our cultural moment, you know, we want to think more broadly. Yeah. And and really, what's that greater principle, like you said, that how am I set apart? How am I not looking like the world around me, but set apart as different? You know, you talked about these things of justice and righteousness, and we see God calling his people to that. Exactly. So how do, how do I walk in those same things? Yeah. Yeah. So you do want to camp out on those broader principles of justice and righteousness and holiness and being consecrated and set apart in, in, in the books of the law. Yeah. And those are things you're going to see as you read through it. You're going to see it repeated all the time. And so you can... It's, exactly. It's easier for us to pick up on the themes where like we have we have we know what we should be looking for and then we see it repeated over and over again throughout the text. Mm-hmm. But we also see the prophets call the people back to that. And so can you That's just right. give us a little yeah. bit uh Christy yes. about like how the prophets call the people back to the law and how we need to see yeah. those books through that lens. Yes, yes. So the prophets, um, so let me give a little liter, you know, again, little literary background to it. When I found this out, I was blown away. If you look in your Bible, 
the majority of the prophets writing is poetic. So if you look, you look in your Bible and you will notice that the majority of the prophets, all of their prophecies are written in a very Hebrew poetry type fashion, where you get these parallel lines that work together to help us to see shifts in imagery and ideas that help us to understand the passage. This was mind blowing to me because you can read in Isaiah and some of those places like, I have no idea. Why is he talking about the holy city, this city that was in ruin and things are personified weird ways. I'm like, I, I, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> but if you understand that it's poetry and it's meant to provide, the images are meant to have like a dramatic force that helps us to understand the message of God to his people. then that's really helpful. And so um, the prophets are remind, they're going back. If you, if you, again, Isaiah, you could do Jeremiah, pick a prophet. They always are going to go back to the law. When you're reading the prophets, you should have the books of Deuteronomy or Exodus. Like you should have those books handy. Most of the time, Deuteronomy, I would say, would probably be like your main kind of anchor point um, because all the prophets go back to God's law. And they're basically reminding people, this is what God said. This is what he expects. Make sure that you do that. (laughs) And so they do that through a lot of different ways. Um, sometimes the prophets will have what's called oracles. They're like pronouncements from God, often given in dreams or vision or something like that. That's good to know because, again, we want to read the Bible as a literary work. Everything is not literal, right? <laughs> like 100% black and white literal, but everything is literary. So you have to read it with a literary framework of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this imagery that the prophet is lifting out. Um, I'm seeing this vision. What is this teaching me about humanity, about God and his expectations, and about what he's calling the people back to? And so a lot of times that imagery is to show, y'all wilding out. (laughs) Like, I'm going to make this imagery so vivid and so clear and so convicting to your heart that any poetry in the Bible is meant for emotion. We're so, we should, uh, you know, embody in a sense the emotion, the force, the drama of the poetry or the story or whatever. And, and so we're meant to feel when we read those passages. And that feeling of whether it's conviction or whether it's um, conviction of like seeing God's glory should call us to action, right? And remind us of God's expectations. And so you're going to see things, again, like metaphors, something being referred to as something else, you know, a human to a bear, for example, or you're going to see word uh, similes, again, grammar school, using words like like or as to make comparisons between things. And so those, again, those comparisons are to help people visually see how their lives are connected to the expectation that God's ha- God has for his people. So that's what I would say about prophecy. And just be careful that as you read the prophets, again, you're reading it with a sense of look for images and look for how the images shift as you work through a chapter or a passage so that you can see the movement that's happening in the passage. Um, and and that'll just help with your interpretation of like, wow, I don't even know what this means, you know. Um. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, because it is, I mean, you will get to it and. The prophets that God uses, he gives them 
colorful instructions on how to speak to either Israel or Judah, yeah. uh, whoever their audience is. Mm-hmm. And it can be, right. what are they doing? What is going on? And you got to be careful that you you have to be... The, here's an example. You said this earlier, how uh, about the life first, right? And so people will go to a passage and be like, mm, my life first, I'll tell you what, is... Um, you know, God is doing a new thing. You know, God is doing something in Habakkuk 1, where it says, uh, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if, if I told. And that that's my life. But like, God is going to do a work. Okay. Now, if you read the verses around it, what is God saying? What's the work that God says he's doing? He said that he's raising up the Chaldeans, a nation worse than them, to judge them. So like, I'm like, you don't oh, want wait. that new work. <laughs> Maybe I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want God to do that work. Right. Like for me, like, I don't want yeah. to be judged. Right. And cause he, you know, he starts off saying like, Habakkuk is like, God, what are you going to yeah. do about all this injustice that I see around me? Like, are you, are you even listening? Are you even watching? Are you in there doing things? God's like, oh yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching you and I'm watching them. And guess what? What I'm about to do is judge you and judge them. And so we have to be careful when we're reading like that, when we're seeing these images and shifts in images that we want to see them in context of the whole, um, that God is a God of justice and he will not stand for injustice, whether it be amongst his people or whether it be the nations around him. And that's, you know, part of the message of the, of the book of Habakkuk, for example. Um, so yeah, we want to make sure that we're reading with that, with that, with that in mind, like, okay, God ain't playing with us. <laughs> not at all. And he's not, <laughs> he's playing. not playing. He's real yeah. serious. He gives grace, but his time for he us does. to uh, come back on our own does have a deadline to it and he will use other means to bring us Mm -hmm. to the path of redemption. I I like to think of judgment as a means to redemption. He's not going to let sin have the final answer. Sometimes what he, the ways he uses are hard and you see that That in the prophets, Mm -hmm. but you will, you just, one author that I've read, he calls them covenant enforcers. It's like they're just mm, yeah, they're just bringing that. them back to the covenant. So it's yes, like yes, that is there's so a true. center point, like yeah. you say, with the law or the covenant, mm-hmm. and it, it's helpful for us to see the center point because again, we can get distracted with the imagery and mm-hmm. get confused or just focus on okay, I can pull this piece of hope that relates to my life where I am now and miss the bigger mm-hmm. story of God's calling His people to live a life of holiness. And he's going to get us to that place one way or yeah. another. Yeah. No, I think the that's so good is when I'm saying like law and instruction and expectation, well, let me just tell you what the expectation yeah. is. The expectation is God has always meant for his people to dwell with him, you know, to, to be in covenant fellowship and relationship with him. So even when the prophets are reminding the people of God's law, when God is in po- in poetry and wisdom literature, reminding them of his, he's not just reminding them of rules. He's reminding them that I I'm ex- I want you to live in these ways because these way- and living in this way allows you to be in covenant fellowship and relationship with me. I am holy. 
I dwell in holiness and my people must dwell in holiness. No clean, no unclean thing can come before the Lord. And so this, this reminder is a reminder for fellowship, a reminder for dwelling, a reminder for God wanting to be with his people and wanting his people to be with him. And so this is a this is good news. So we again we think about the prophets like, oh man, this <laughs> yeah. doom, this destruction, this gloom, like, oh, uh, uh. Yes, if you, you know, if you if you choose to not live according to God's instructions, but if you do, the blessing is that you are able to dwell and fellowship tabernacle with the Lord. That's good news. We should all want that, right? So yeah, and then and then you know, think about the apocalyptic at the end. So now we're seeing the whole the fullness of God's story come to pass where so in the book of Daniel, well in the Old Testament, you'll read a lot about the last days, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And you get to the New Testament, language changes a little bit. So you don't hear so much day of the Lord, but you start hearing the Apostle Paul talk about the day of Christ. Right. And so now you have these two pillars where in the Old Testament, God is saying, hey, the day of the Lord is coming. It's a warning against falling away from the law of God that bring, because that will bring judgment. The day of the Lord brings judgment. But the day of Christ brings blessing to those who live under the law of Christ. Right. And so in, in, in the apocalyptic literature, you see these two things brought together, the day of the Lord judgment and the day of Christ, the blessing of living in fellowship with Jesus forever. And so now you got like the whole all these genres together. This is this is like the epic of epics. And the end of the epic is that the message of God's redemptive plan comes to a close in us finally and fully in an unfettered fashion, <laughs> dwelling with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so just a couple of points on apocalyptic literature when you get to it is, it is very confusing. I will admit just about everything is symbolic. Like everything refers to something else. So you kind of get full Bible in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel. And the book of Revelation is kind of like all the genres mixed together. Yeah. So it's a letter, right? When it opens up, it ta- you know, uh, you know, John said, hey, I am writing to you. So he's writing as a letter. But he also says the words of this, you need to obey the words of this prophecy. So it's also a prophecy. <laughs> and it has all the apocalyptic elements of, you know, revealing Jesus in the, the fullness of um, redemptive history and time. And then it's written in a narrative form. He's telling this story. So like when you get to Revelation, you're getting all the genres like mixed mixed in into one. But again, it's to bring this redemptive story to a close and to help us to see that Jesus had already won from the beginning, but we get to see the end of that story. Yes. From beginning Come on, to Christy. forever. Come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they are, they are lampposts along the way that help guide us mm-hmm. to the meaning that scripture is designed to reveal for us. And again, this is why I love this conversation because sometimes we get off the track because we get confused or we Mm -hmm. get discouraged. And doing some of this work helps us stay on the track Mm -hmm. Um, and specifically learning 
biblical genres? What can I expect from this particular book of the Bible? Kind of what what kind mm-hmm. of area does it fall into? And how does it point to this greater story of redemption about God dwelling with his people? Does it mm-hmm. point back to the promises of Christ? Mm-hmm. Does it point forward to the fulfillment of Christ? And really when we get to the end, what we see, and I loved how you said it, it said, he, from the very beginning, he had already won. And so yes, at the end, yes, we get yes. to see the fulfillment of what was started in uh, the beginning mm-hmm. of Genesis. And uh, it's always, mm-hmm. I always tear up. Every time I teach that section, I get to the end of Revelation, I tear up because you're just like, it's, it's here, it's here. Hey. Uh, but, <laughs> oh, but just goodness. So okay. Yeah. Christy, yeah. if we yeah. got folks who are like, hey, I love what y'all are talking about, but I need a good book to help me dig mm-hmm. deeper. Do you have a good book for the people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have several. <laughs> well, if you if you just want a, a brief, you know, overview of biblical genres, um, I did write a book called Literarily that walks through the various genres of the Bible and kind of gives us this big picture view of things to look for, things to expect, some of the stuff that we talked about here today. I also really appreciate the it's called the ESV Literary yeah. Study Bible. I think it's still out there. I think it's still available. Um, you should, yeah, be able to get your hands on that. And if if not, then um, anything written by the Dr. Yes. Rikens. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, Dr. Leland Riken, uh, Dr. Phil Riken, they are like my mentors when it comes to the Bible and literature. Uh, so I would highly recommend them. And then a classic book, uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, is really helpful and kind of focuses on some of the, the things that we talked about here today as well. And then just go talk to a grammar school kid. <laughs> Pick up a few things. I do think just learning a little bit of grammar, especially in the New Testament. We didn't even talk about New Testament, but learning about uh, narrative storytelling, learning about uh, verbs yeah. and <laughs> and persuasive yeah. writing and those kinds of things. So going back to a little bit of grammar is not going to be yeah. bad, but it will help us to yeah. understand our Bibles better. Yeah, I know those are great resources. We will have them linked for you guys in the show notes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this process that we have of we study our Bibles so that we are transformed. Like even as we, me and Christy That's are right. talking, like we're not just talking about this stuff so we can compile more knowledge. We're doing it so that we can know and love God mm. more and have mm-hmm. lives that that are the fruit of people who dwell with God because the Holy Spirit walks with us and are eagerly anticipating the return yes. of Christ so we can dwell with him in perfection. Mm-hmm. And so thank you, Christy. Yeah. You have obviously mm-hmm. shown us a mastery of what this information looks like. And hopefully as listeners, you are encouraged to embark upon this mm-hmm. journey to, to study the biblical mm-hmm. genres as you are trying to understand how to study your Bible. Thank you, Christy, for sharing yes. your wisdom with us. Thank you. Oh, thank you yeah. so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Starting Place. This podcast is designed to serve as an introduction, helping you understand and grow in your Christian faith. So if you're interested in learning more about today's topic or connecting with our guest, please check the show notes for more information. And if you're interested in supporting the work we do, we'd love it if you could leave us a review where you listen to the podcast. It helps other people find the show and connect with us. Until next time, grace and peace, y'all.